Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Metaverticizing Podcast, your podcast about metaverse, marketing, advertising, and related trends in the tech world. I'm your host, Eli Santos, and this podcast is all about exploring the metaverse and its possibilities with people that are at the core of its development. And of course, how marketing is going to be related with everything. And today, I'm really excited to welcome Elijah Tai. Elijah, say hi to everyone. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> hi, Elijah. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here with us today. So guys, Elijah is the founder of and CEO of Zesty, a venture-backed ad network that allows companies to target users while they're in VR headsets, such as the Quest 2 and Pico 4. He was previously a data engineer at Shopify, where he worked on building data solutions for merchants to better understand their customers. Elijah is passionate about making sure the metaverse has real utility for businesses and communicating the benefits of spatial technology without the fluff. So Elijah, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do in your background. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think your intro did a really good job. Sounds like uh, the person that wrote it knew what they were talking about. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, my name is Elijah. And yeah, like you said, uh, the co-founder, the, the founder of uh, Zesty. Um, and uh, I got into VR, I guess, in 2019 when the Quest 1 came out, um, you know, uh, at the time, I think there was a lot of uncertainty around this is kind of like the after the first peak of one of the first peaks of like the VR boom. And there was a lot of um, uncertainty around kind of the future of VR. Um, but, you know, Facebook now Meta had come out with the headset, the Quest One, and it was finally like a mobile headset that you didn't need to plug into your computer to be able to, you know, jump into immersive worlds and, and play uh, really exciting games. And, and so um, I thought that was super interesting. Uh, what interested me the most about it was was the browser, um, and the browser is really important because it keeps everything keeps things open. Um, but before that, before all of that, I was in uh, I was I was working at Shopify, like you mentioned, and um, I guess uh, uh, working on the data engineering team on on the analytics side of things, making sure that all the all the data that was coming through from merchants was was being processed properly. So that's that's my background, um, and we can we can jump into to Zesty, uh, I guess, in the conversation. Yeah, no problem. And um, and I think it's interesting how you got into VR like really early before all the metaverse talk, like two years before the metaverse talk, which is really interesting. And I'm uh, guessing that back at the time, because I actually I didn't have a VR device back then, you know, I was already exploring uh, 3D platforms and whatnot, you know, and uh, I've been a gamer all my life. But uh, at that time, I hadn't used like I hadn't had my own VR device. I, I just basically used other VR devices that you would see at expos and like, you know, that sort of stuff. Or maybe sometimes you would be in you will see like a, a little demo on, you know, on a, on a shopping mall and, and these types of things. So um, I was definitely aware of VR, but like I didn't have a device. And I'm guessing that back at that time, you know, there wasn't much to explore in in these vr devices yeah and um i guess just to give you like some numbers at the time you know, there weren't so meta had their kind of quest or they had their rift line of devices that were plugged into the computer right and so with that you got a lot of the apps that were available from the steam vr store um which was nice but now that you know after after moving to standalone they had to recreate that app store from the almost from the ground up, just because, you know, a lot of the compute requirements were different for kind of more mobile uh, chipsets. And so at the time, I think there were maybe around uh, 50 apps um, on the app store. And that's what made the browser kind of more, more enticing as a place to go for free content. And so um, 
you know, now I think we're at around 400 apps um, and, and it's become a lot more diverse in terms of the kind of content that's available to standalone uh, VR headset users. Um, everything from, you know, you got all your gaming, your shooters, your your um, your fitness apps. And now we're starting to move a little bit more into productivity and something that could be um, available and accessible for enterprises to start adopting, which is which is super exciting. So, um, yeah, I think we're we're definitely diversifying in the kind of content that's out there now. That's amazing. And um, it, it's definitely interesting to see how, um, you know, uh, things because uh, regardless if what, what what the opinion of our listener right now is regarding the metaverse or VR, like, um, you know, it's definitely going to keep moving forward and it's definitely going to develop. But um, it's hard for us to predict exactly how it's going to happen. So I think if you look back at 2019, when things were getting started, you know, and then you look at the scenario now, the way that uh, these devices are approaching their own content and approaching their own apps and, and basically the, the entertainment that they provide to their uh, customers has changed a lot. So it's interesting to realize that and also like looking at the future, you know, and uh, everyone tries to make predictions about the future of the metaverse, the future of VR. But in reality, like it might be that the way that we deal with things might shift, especially after Apple jumps into the market, which is, you know, um, very expected to happen. You know, uh, everyone you know, is, is very anxious about the release of their new mixed reality device. So it might be that they also change the game in a way. Um, and so um, it's interesting to to make these analysis, right? Yeah, I mean, I think initially, um, you know, Meta was, after the acquisition of Oculus, they were basically, they had a, they had a market stronghold along with um, HTC. So it was, it was basically HTC versus Meta, I mean, up until 2019. Um, but now, you know, I think in 2020, Meta released the, the Quest 2, which was a, a higher resolution, more performant, um, you know, headset. And, and I think that the success of that, so from 2020 to today, I think we've, I think we've grown in the number of standalone headsets from about two to three from about two to three million to begin with, up to I think we're sitting at around 35 million, um, kind of distributed across the world. Mostly, you know, the the meta market is is North America and Europe, um, but most recently in the past couple of months, we've seen uh, ByteDance and you know TikTok come out with their own headset uh, through the Pico Four um, through through an acquisition that they did, and um, uh, you know. There's, there's now a word of, of Apple and, and Samsung, I think, which came out yesterday. Um, I think a lot of the big tech companies are starting to see, okay, smartphones, you can only add so many new cameras to the, to the smartphones. Um, you know, three is enough, four is enough. Um, and so what other kinds of innovations do we, like they, they're, they're now, you know, grasping for, for new kinds of products that can be sold to the consumer and, and enterprise. Um, and I think they're starting to see that headsets um, especially with the kind of performance that we're now getting from graphics, uh, mobile graphics chipsets um, that's able to power a lot of these 3D applications, they're starting to see that as, um, you know, as the next kind of S-curve or the platform that they want to be building for. Um, and I think we're still, you know, about three to four years out from it being completely mainstream adopted and actually the price coming down to a level where, you know, your ordinary uh, consumer can be able to afford it. Um, but uh, I think we're getting pretty close. 
Yeah, definitely. No doubt about that. And I think this makes the perfect intro for our main topics for today, right? We're going to talk about, you know, uh, different related topics, but I think the core of our conversation is definitely going to be metaverse advertising, you know, and you mentioned a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the devices and, um, and, 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 and some of the, uh, also like a little bit about the different apps that were available back then. Like what was the scenario then? And what is the scenario now? And uh, we're also teasing a little bit about the future. So let's, let's just take a, like a couple steps back and let's just look at the metaverse from a more objective perspective, which is something that, you know, as I, uh, as I was, uh, making the intro about you, you know, you like to look at the metaverse as this opportunity for, for, for businesses and like how to make it feasible for businesses, how to make it, uh, how to make sense out of the metaverse, right? And not just the fluff that we see out there. So uh, I think I would like to get started with, um, you know, uh, there, I think that the gaming metaverse is a good foundation for what's going to happen with the consumer metaverse in the upcoming years, right? So um, so I would like to, to, to see from you, like, um, you know, considering this objective perspective that you have, and also considering like this uh, direction that we're seeing the market taking of like uh, using gaming as the foundation for the consumer uh, metaverse. How uh, different do you think the gaming metaverse uh, looks today versus the direction that we would like to take for the metaverse? Or do you think that would be more productive for the metaverse? Yeah, I mean, um, so just kind of zooming back out a little bit, if you explore the kind of the VR landscape and the kinds of apps that are that are out there today. Um, the way in which they're monetized has been, um, you, you know, you pay like twenty to thirty dollars for for a copy of the game. You get it installed, um, and then and then you kind of go from there. Um, you're, you're paying for the content up front. But I think as we see more, uh, you know, diversification of the kinds of applications and, and also the kinds of gaming demographics. Right now, um, VR is very heavily skewed towards kind of the younger kind of Roblox, Fortnite, that demographic. And so, um, but, you know, as as the population, as, you know, the older population starts to adopt, you know, the gaming metaverse um, that's outside of Roblox and Fortnite, um, I think we'll start to move more towards free to play. And so the monetization for how you start to support those kinds of economies uh, needs to change, um, whether it's through cosmetics. You know, I think Gorilla Tag is a really good example um, of a game that's found pretty good success. You know, I think they did about $26 million in, in sales in 2021 based on uh, just based on cosmetics. It's a free to play game. Um, obviously, the, the, the demographic that plays this game is a lot younger, but, um, you know, they were able to show that selling cosmetics is actually a viable a viable path to getting there in terms of actually bridging from you know gaming and into kind of other more productivity and enterprise related applications of, of the metaverse without you know without all that i think it's hard to ignore that at the core of gaming is 3d right so the and and the you don't necessarily need a headset to visualize things in 3d but it certainly helps um uh, you know, some people might be more motion sick. Some people uh, might be more sensitive to the to the kinds of movements inside VR. And so, um, I think it's really important to also make sure that the 3D kind of way of thinking about um, spatial spatial worlds um, and and especially kind of social interactions inside these worlds, um, you know, needs to also translate over into into mobile and desktop as well. Um, and in terms of like actual business applications, um, you know. 
that's I think that's that's yet to come. I think there's a lot of crossover that's happening in the way that Matterport companies like Matterport is approaching it. You know, taking what's physical, digitizing it, allowing allowing businesses to be able to you know realtors and and kind of property managers to be able to um, you know show show these worlds in a in, you know without actually having the person needing to go there. So it's I, I kind of see the metaverse, the gaming metaverse um, applying to enterprise as more allowing for teleportation almost it's it's you, you can you can be somewhere without actually being there and from a business standpoint i think that makes a lot of sense um just in terms of efficiency and, and getting things done much more quickly um, i think the architecture and design use cases are, are are pretty clear um you know especially in the way that we're working right now and in the, in the way that remote work is happening um, with teams that are distributed all over the world in different time zones the need to be able to share 3D products or, or, or objects or, or worlds or kind of environments um, quickly um, and, and accurately is 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 something that uh, you know the value of which is is is, is quite clear. So um, yeah, I mean we can take the conversation anywhere you'd like to go uh, from there. Definitely, I think this is the the, the perfect entrance point for uh, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Because um, uh, one thing that you mentioned that I think it's really interesting to highlight is basically, you know, a, a lot of the VR users that we have nowadays. It's basically like uh, the same uh, kids that are playing Roblox, the same kids that are playing Fortnite, or maybe not even kids. You know, just uh, people in general. You know, playing within these platforms. And um, and when you look at all of these opportunities when you look at uh, also the trends, as you mentioned, of, you know, the, the, this, this, not only the consumer metaverse, but also the business metaverse, the, the enterprise metaverse, and you look at the opportunities, the opportunities to release solutions, the opportunity to release, uh, you know, entertainment, the opportunity to make money, making revenue, um, it, it gets us questioning, like, um, this, this next generation of consumers, this next generation of, uh, let's say, metaverse native or maybe metaverse population, I guess I can call it, they are going to require different ways of uh, marketing communication methods, right? So uh, let's say the traditional branding, I think, I like to think that many of the tactics that have been working since forever are still going to work. But I think there's going to require some adaptation up to some level, um, especially depending on the crowd that you're trying to talk to. So uh, let's say, for example, that in five, 10 years, the devices are really advanced and it has reached mass adoption. So pretty much everyone owns a VR headset in a way, or maybe an augmented reality headset or, or whatever it is. Um, and, um, and then like you have different audiences. But I think, you know, the majority of people in the future that are going to be present within these platforms are the Generation Zs and Generation Alphas today that are playing Roblox and Fortnite. And they are going to demand a different way to do marketing, right? So I would love to hear from you about that, like the kind of like the traditional, you know, uh, way to do marketing and branding and, and, and advertising that we used to know versus what we're going to see in the future of marketing. Yeah, I mean, I think the simplest way to, to think about this is you need to be where the people are. Right. If you're if you're a brand or an organization um, and you're trying to reach Gen Z and Alpha, um, you don't um, you know, you're not going to be get, reaching them with, you know, out of home ads or uh, with they're not going to be watching, you know, TV. They're, they're, they're going to be more you know, engaged with things like Netflix and, and Hulu and Roku and and Disney Plus and um, as well as, you know, inside the VR worlds. Um, you know, inside 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 the games that are in there. And so um, the way that I, I you know, that 
you know, that we at Zestia have been thinking about it is, and, and there's been, there's going to be a shift, a platform shift in the way in which people consume content. Um, it started out, you know, in, in the 90s with, you know, text and, and then it evolved into pictures and video. Um, and then now all of that content is being consumed for the most part in, on, our, on our mobile devices, right? Um, and that's why, that's why platforms like AdMob and um, mobile-focused ad networks were able to get so big. And, you know, AdMob, I think, got acquired by Google for like $700 million in, in 2011 or something like that. And so what we're hoping to do with Zesty is reach people where, where they where they're going next, right? And and we believe that that is going to be in a much more immersive medium, um, such as AR and VR. And so we're hoping to be, um, I guess, the ad mob for, for XR. Um, and so I think the ways in which the, you know, even just the developer ecosystem in, in, in how mobile apps are developed is very different from how you know, it's very difficult for a mobile developer to to transition so easily into kind of the 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 VR kind of spatial environment, especially if they're not coming from like a gaming you know background. And so, the developer ecosystem is going to be very di very different. They're going to want different ways of being communicated to. They're going to want different SDKs and and tools um, to support what they're doing, um, and even the kinds of um, the kinds of ads, right? Or if we're thinking, let's say we're talking about ads and, and marketing, the kinds of um, ways in which brands will want to reach people inside these headsets will be very different. For you know, so for example, the way that we're doing it is is very simple. You know, very simple banners because that's like the the easiest kind of content or creative for for brands to make. But we think that you know because of this 3D medium that we have, you have a lot more flexibility and a lot more wiggle room to be able to grow into, you know, you go from a banner, you go into, you know, 3D products such as a car or uh, or a product um, that you can put in front of the the, the gamer or the, or the player's uh, eyes and and you can actually start to measure, you know, how they're engaging with that with that with that object and then and then you you make it even more immersive and then it becomes a world and an experience um you know for example i believe uh, i know this isn't a very popular app but it, it's, it's something called horizon worlds and 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 you know meta's been working with like wendy's and, and and engaging a lot of brands that way to create worlds for for movies that are coming out and for restaurants that are out there to try and engage this new um this new demographic that's spending more time inside virtual worlds um and i think that you know this 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 transition from how you know we we access the web and the internet on our mobile devices are they're essentially just web pages, right? But but we think it's going to be uh, shifting more into web spaces. So we, this this kind of transition, um, and so you know monetization, advertising, marketing is going to look very different uh, compared you know in this web space environment versus web the web pages. So. Um, yeah, I mean that's kind of the the space that we're playing in, um, and I forget your last. I guess there was a there was your last question, but uh, uh, yeah, no problem, yeah. no problem. And I I completely agree. Like it's going to require for marketers a huge um, mindset shift in terms of like it's going to be, you know, if, if you've always done advertising, you've always done marketing inside of this box, and then all of a sudden like you're completely outside of this box now, and you can play around with so many different things. And I always say that you know the more emotions that you can make a person and few, uh, the higher are your chances of converting that person or maybe even sparking an interest, right? Because that's what it's all about. And so I think when it comes to immersive realities, you know, you have this wide spectrum of 
things that you can play around with and also feelings that you can play around with uh with that that target that you're that person that you're targeting for your marketing so uh it's definitely very exciting i think that's why i mentioned roblox so often because roblox i think they're doing a great job at creating these kind of like branded experiences and in places and in these spaces that you know their 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 targets are actually going to love and actually going to interact with so i think that's the foundation of everything and uh you know uh, one thing that i would love to hear from you as well which gets me really curious um and i'm sure you have a very unique perspective on this is the difference between each continent right because uh we're you know um in traditional marketing let's say and when i say traditional i'm talking about like uh the era of marketing that we're coming out of so like so social media ads and you know um email and whatnot uh i know that uh, in this previous era of marketing uh it was already different for each continent right so if we're talking about north america it was it was a way to do marketing if we're talking about south america it was a different way to do marketing uh asia the same thing so love to hear from you like what are the differences that you're spotting you know uh when it comes to each continent um in marketing and in advertising yeah, I mean, I think just looking at, you know, going back to like the fundamentals, like looking at the similarities between, you know, people are generally similar, you know, you know, around the world, like the, we, we do share a lot in common with each other, um, the West and the East. And um, but but yes, there are differences, but just touching on the similarities a bit, you know, things around, you know, influencers and and and, uh, and celebrities and getting them to to use a certain product that that you want that, you know, that resonates with them and um like those that kind of stuff isn't going away right you know if you see someone that you that you admire that's and they're you know wearing a certain brand or a clothing you want to do the same thing and i think that kind of human nature doesn't change from continent to continent um but i think the ways in which uh the content is distributed um and and how word gets around um uh, might might be a little bit different uh whereas in, in north america i think i think we're more familiar with you know the apps are much more um, kind of fragmented, and so the ways in which you know marketer might be spending their their resources, uh, they need to they need to kind of manage a portfolio of of, of marketing spend. Whereas in you know in, in places like Asia, uh, especially Korea and China, they have these they have these like super apps, right? And so um, you know in Korea, for example, uh, like eighty percent of the population uses uses a messaging app, a kind of a super app called Kakao. Um, and so marketing spend can be spent can be concentrated on on a couple of few um, super apps. Um, whereas whereas in the states you have so, you have this fragmentation of well, it's not necessarily fragmented, but it's it's there's quite a lot of different you know social media channels to 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 go through um and i think that the medium the, in terms of like going back to similarities right the medium is still mobile right the, the medium is still uh mobile and 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 i but i do think that some of the streaming kind of if we go into like connected tv uh, and how marketing spend is done there um you know i think that's a much more um that's a much more North American focus, uh, whereas I think spending in connected TV, connected TV in, in Asia just isn't um, isn't as interesting uh, for advertisers uh, there. And I, I, you know, I don't know too much about the South American market. Uh, that's probably you know you would know a bit more about that. But um, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of uh, I guess an overview. And we can we can jump into whatever uh, branch you want to go next. 
Yeah, like I think um, I think you, you you touched a great point there when you talk a little bit about the similarities and you mentioned influencers, for example. I think you're you're totally right, and I completely agree with you in the sense of like certain things are always gonna work no matter where you are. So influencers, I think it's the perfect example. However, then we start looking at the differences, and so for example, in Japan and in Asia in general, I'll say, but I would say especially in uh, South Korea and Japan, you have virtual influencers becoming more and more popular, and it's a concept that, for example. Uh, here in brazil for instance like it's not that common you know like it's not something that would have uh the wide uh, adoption from the masses although certain very big brands here in brazil are already adopting this model and actually having success with it but it's not something that a small brand could just try to use because it might not work however for a big brand it works so like we start to see all of these differences also like we have in asia a lot of different um virtual artists right so virtual musicians and um and especially in south korea there's a lot of k-pop groups coming up of like virtual you know idols so i think you know um there are certainly a lot of similarities but when you look a little closer you can spot these differences and that's how you can differentiate the marketer that is going to act in the asia market and the marketer that is going to act in the north american market right yeah i mean you make a really good point about about virtual um i guess virtual celebrities um i think there's uh a K-pop group called Espa. You know, I think they made. Uh, I think they made this, this, uh, the soundtrack for one of the Netflix shows um, that was about League of Legends. Um, I forget the name, but um, I think they're they start. They have like a, a digital twin of every single you know real life celebrity um, in that in that girl group, and so that lends itself really nicely into concerts. Like you. You can think about virtual concerts now, um, and, and the the audience, because of the internet, just just multiplies by by 10x. Just because, you know, the people don't actually need to fly to individual cities to give a concert, but they can they can do it, you know, from the comfort of their home. You know, do like a mocap uh, recording of their session of their dance routines, um, and they can. They can show it to an audience in North America, you know, even while they're in South Korea. So, um, and also, I think to your point about uh, Japan and how they've influenced VTubing um, and virtual avatars there, um, it's a, uh, you know, I think it's a cultural thing, right? Um, you know, the, that kind of East Asian market. Um, I, although I, although I, I do think that you know, anime and um, you know, uh, cartoons and are are are. are Starting to gradually come into the the psyche and the cultural fabric of North America, um, you know, it's it's it more started out as like cartoons, right, in North America rather than like anime. Um, but because it's such a native part of how Japanese people think about their culture, um, they can actually relate and connect to to the to the influencers that they might see, even though they're like complete completely animated, because um, you know that's something that they've been doing for a long time. So. Um, yeah, I think we'll we'll see an interesting bleeding of some of the the East Asian culture coming into how North America consumes Twitch, right? I think even on Twitch, there's some channels that you start seeing that are completely B2, you know, VTubing native. And I think um, these virtual avatars give people a, a really interesting way to express themselves um, without needing to, you know, without needing to sh show who they are, you know, 
without needing to reveal their identity, they can stay pseudonymous. And I think that also ties in really nicely with, with how we've been thinking about Web3 um, and identity there. So um, yeah, that's very interesting. No, definitely, definitely, and um, and it's and it's really interesting, you know, especially for for the ones that are listening that are uh, in marketing, that are working with marketing, or maybe looking to work with marketing now in Web three. I think you know uh, all of these similarities and all of these details, I think, are going to play out big in you know as we're entering Web three in the near future, uh, because as you said, and I completely agree. Like if you're a Twitch user, you're already seeing VTubers streaming on Twitch, and I've I've seen a lot. Of of them and i think it's going to also become common to see vtubers on 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 youtube creating actual long form videos and like just creating this kind of persona and creating amazing content and it's going to become more and more common especially now that we're entering web3 and uh there's there's another thing that i would like to discuss with you which is since we're talking about similarities and differences like there's a, a wide range of devices of vr devices available right now that the consumer can pick from so there's you know there's quest there's pico there's the htc devices the vive um and you know and there's even more devices on top of that so i'd love to hear from you like um what are your learnings from trying to build a business that targets users of these uh devices um what are the i would say what are the maybe the main differences or the biggest learnings when it comes to to these devices i would love to hear from you a little bit about that yeah, I mean, I think the main differentiator that, you know, VR and XR provides um, in comparison to mobile uh, experiences and apps um, is, is is this element of presence. Um, so it, it allows you to feel like you're actually at a certain location, you know, and, and that's not at all possible with 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 mobile. And it just comes, you know, because of the the immersion that you get with the optics, you know, it's it's literally streaming pixels into your eyes, which, you know, if you, if you say it like that, it's kind of dystopic and a little bit scary, but, um, you know, that, that this new medium allows us to, um, you know, I think, I think presence is really important for social experiences, right? You know, this meeting that we're having you and I, it's, we're doing it on zoom. Um, but, and, and it's just like, a, I just see a 2D screen and sometimes you look at yourself, sometimes you look at the other person and you're going back and forth to make sure you don't look silly, right? Um, in VR, you don't get any of that. Um, you can have like a mirror um, to, to be able to look at yourself and see how you're doing and what you look like in there as a virtual character. Um, but the, the experience feels like you're actually looking at that person in the eyes. And I think the kinds of hardware advancements that we're starting to see that's becoming available to general consumers, especially with the Quest Pro and kind of the new Pico headsets um, is, is eye tracking. And so now what, what you get from there is when you're having a conversation with someone and you see that they're looking away from you, they're not paying attention, um, you'll notice that. Um, and so I think this translates really interestingly into, into games that are, that are social by nature. And I think that the, the biggest kind of, um, I think the biggest kind of gains in, 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 in VR will be, will be social in nature, um, whether it's for fitness, you know, to have the, the gaze of a, of a fitness trainer look at you as you're working out, if you're not, you know, doing your pushups properly, you know, you'll see that they're looking at you. Um, whether they're they're an AI avatar or if they're a real person in there or not, and so um, I guess for, in terms of our learnings, um, you know, we see voice, voice. You know, voice is a huge part of it. A lot of mobile games don't have, they don't incorporate voice um, just because it's a little bit strange. But um, 
because VR is so immersive and the presence is so real, um, you want to be like, you find it almost like a natural thing to, to be able to chat, to be able to talk with them. You know, the, the medium of communication is no longer text because it's quite difficult to type in, in, in VR, you know, just because, you know, you, you can connect your keyboard, but it's, it becomes more difficult, but people want to be able to talk with voice. And so, um, you know, I think that pro that poses a lot of challenges, especially for internationalization. You know, how are we going to, you know, are we going to be doing live translation on the fly if the other person can't speak English? Um, I also think that, you know, VR provides uh, a really interesting way to approach education. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of a lot of people have tried to build, you know, really nice mobile education games um, to learn, you know, basic math concepts or to level up in your career. You know, you want to learn data science. There are ways of, and apps that offer these kinds of services, but it's very different um, to have a mentor or tutor sit in front of you um, basically and, and, and guide you through, you know, a certain lesson, um, being able to maintain eye contact and the tutor can now know if the other student is, is paying attention or not. And, and, you know, if they should, you know, end the, end the lesson there and kind of move on the next time, like all these sorts of signals that you would only get from being, having kind of a face-to-face -face, um, interaction, um, are now made possible with, with, uh, with the new hardware. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, this uh, what, what you're you're talking about right now, I think it plays out really, really big for especially for advertising. So you mentioned, for example, eye contact and all these things. Like, what is the direction that a specific person is looking at? So when it comes to advertising, like having this type of data, and uh, like I'm not urging you know the next generation of marketers to take advantage of that and just being uh, as abusive as possible with that information, but like it it definitely helps you know it helps uh, for for a marketer to see if whatever they're displaying in front of these users and uh, whatever it is that they're running in these platforms uh, is really like something that people are paying attention to and if so like how how is that eye contact like are, are, are they really engaged they look like they're engaged or like what exactly is happening or maybe they were interrupted like by their mothers when they were uh you know having this uh, advertised experience so you know having access to such data um and it's just one of the things that you mentioned that you know, it's really interesting and the way also these users engage with these experiences, the way that they interact, not just with eye contact. I, I think it plays out really, really well for, for advertising. And it's going to be like a very powerful tool for um, marketers in the upcoming years, right? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the... So I guess I, guess I want to preface that a lot of this technology um, can be used for, for good and, and, for, and for bad, right? Um, and I think that the way in which this eye, especially especially attention data, um, is being is being used, um, I think I, I I'm of the stance that it needs to stay on device. It should it should um, only leave the device and the user's kind of possession after giving permission, um, and they should know you know who is going to be accessing it, and all of that um, should be should be made transparent to them. Um, and for for what reason they need it for should be transparent. Um, but you know, I think the Quest Pro um, was like the first one of the first Meta headsets that had eye tracking, um, and and the use case there um, isn't necessarily for advertising right away because you can get a lot of attention data just by knowing if the camera or in, in, in you know in, in VR we call it the 
the camera of the of the person what whether they're looking at the the, the ad or the, the marketing collateral or not you can you can already get a lot of that without needing eye you know eye eye tracking um, and i think the main use case for the quest pro to have eye tracking was because uh, of the social interactivity you know component to to be able to see if someone is actually looking at you in the eyes or not um, just because that adds to the to the immersion and the presence element i think anything anything to to improve the the the, the immersion the presence you know that's something that i believe that you know reality labs would probably work towards um, but i mean yeah to your point it becomes very powerful for marketers um, and i think we've yet to yet to learn um how powerful this data is today you know i think uh i think we'll get there probably in the next two years definitely definitely and, and something that you mentioned in our last conversation that i think it's really interesting to observe you know um that is completely related with what, what we're talking about is the fact that the marketing playbook for VR just hasn't been being written yet, right? Because it's just it's just so new and there's so many possibilities and there's so many opportunities. And like even from a user perspective, even from a consumer perspective, it's still relatively unexplored, as you said. Um, I remember um, you mentioned that uh, I think it was 1.5 billion worth of apps uh, were sold so far on the Quest Store, right? Um, and you mentioned at the beginning some of the numbers in terms of like people that own uh, Quest devices. So uh, when you look at all of that, you know, even though these are, you know, relatively big numbers, um, it, it's still early. You know, there's still a lot of people that have never used a VR device in their lives, even if even if it was like in a demo or like an exhibit or an event or something. And, and so also at the same time, you know, obviously the marketing playbook for VR hasn't been written yet. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's something that that we're we're hoping to write um, as we you know as we help other VR games you know reach um, their their target audience. Um, right now, if you're if you're making a VR app or or any sort of content in VR, um, there's a couple of ways in which you can reach people that have a VR headset. Um, one is you know you, you run you run very traditional ads on, on on YouTube where you're targeting like VR related channels. Um, that people might be watching you, or you might be sponsoring an influencer to 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 do an, a, a review for you on your on your uh, on their channel, um, or you might have your own kind of social social presence through TikTok, um, which some a lot of the times you don't need. You know, if the game is really great um, or if the content's really viral, you don't need your own presence, right? Other people will share it for you, especially that's kind of what happened with uh, what's been happening with like Beat Saber and, and Gorilla Tag and, and kind of the, the big the big hits there. Um, but if you don't have those those kind of channels, um, you know, a lot of people are kind of left looking around and, and trying to figure out, okay, do we run, is it a TV ad? You know, I mean, TV ads are too expensive for the kind of audience that we want to get. Um, and so, you know, for us, you know, Zesty currently provides a way for uh, anyone that's that's that wants to target people inside VR to reach them while they're inside the headset, while they're while they're inside the game uh, in the browser. And so, um, that's something that we're continuing to to push as a as a viable opportunity to do that. Um, but but I'm sure. But even the tooling there, I think, needs improvement. So let's say someone let's say someone actually lands in your VR you know VR storefront or your or your game. To be able to actually do attribution, to know you know what channel they're actually coming from, which um, which channel you should be you know which channels you should be spending more on and investing more into, um, 
a lot of that there's a lot of uncertainty around there because the tracking and the and the and the attribution just isn't isn't in place and that's just more of an infrastructure and a tooling issue um and there are and we, we have solutions that are you know starting to come out um to solve those problems so um yeah but but i think maybe just to add on to that like the kinds of advertisers and marketers that are looking into vr aren't just you know vr focused or xr focused um you know right now we've been working with um a web3 game called uh called ice poker made by uh decentral games um and they've been using zesty to to do user acquisition this is where part of their kind of general uh user acquisition strategy and so um we've been finding that you know people that are inside the headsets are also more willing to spend on games because you know just the fact that the person owns a headset meant that they actually spent like 400 500 bucks on a gaming device right or i mean i think meta is trying to make it more more general but um you know it is essentially a gaming device and so that's a really good indicator and and it involves a lot of strong intent around hey this person might like if they spent 500 bucks on a, on a headset they're probably going to spend you know 10 15 bucks on you know on a web3 game you know on a blockchain game and so um you know and it also and it's also very you know region specific around north america and that's kind of the target demographic that um decentral games has been going going after and so um it's been it's been great working with them to explore that as a kind of potential advertiser um kind of segment or a vertical so yeah, you touched on a very interesting point there, which is, um, you know, uh, for 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 those of you who are listening that have ever, you know, ran advertising on Facebook, for example, or Instagram, you have the opportunity of targeting, for example, only iPhone users. And uh, I know for a fact because you know I've done it. I've done it a few times already. Not a few times. I've done it many times actually. Of like putting that as my target in the ads because I know intuitively that these people have a bigger purchasing power than the regular Android user. So it's a way for you to kind of filter out people that have a high purchasing power. And I think that by itself is extremely powerful, right? Uh, in one of the previous episodes, I remember commenting that uh, you know uh, now that we're entering Web three and we have wallets with NFTs. It's also a way for you to uh, have uh, access to the purchasing power of that uh, wallet owner because of the stuff that they have acquired in terms of NFTs and crypto over the years. And that information is pretty much public. And so um, when you look at all of these indicators, it becomes an amazingly powerful tool for marketers. And I think that's that's just you know it's it's really it's really interesting to look at these 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 indicate these new indicators i guess i would say you also mentioned a little bit about you know attribution for vr environments which is really interesting to think about so um it's clear that the marketing playbook is in the works right now the new marketing playbook let's say yeah um and uh, i mean i think i think it's i think we're probably we're probably going to start releasing, you know, a bit more information about 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 what we're doing and, and doing more case studies around our work. But uh, um, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good marketers that are already, you know, working for big game studios, right? They, you know, this is like this is their bread and butter, and so we're not we're not here to like tell them what to do, obviously, but we're here to just add our kind of contribution to the to the, to the pie of, of knowledge that we've been getting from. So. Um, you know, I think I think they've got they've got a lot to share, but we've got our own kind of secret sauce that we'd like to start sharing a little bit of. So, um, yeah, I mean, back to your point about like Web three wallets, like just the fact that the person has 
a Web3 wallet is a strong indicator of their kind of purchasing power. You know, if you if you don't have any money to spend on discretionary things, then you know you you're not going to be looking to put money into a, some some virtual wallet, um, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the the, the one difference that I would say between like the headsets and, and the wallets is that with wallets you can create a lot of them and you can you can you know you can indicate kind of false uh spending power um just by like having a lot of wallets where with the headset it's like a physical device and you need to pay um a certain amount of money to to even get one and so um, i actually think the headset is a stronger indicator uh and the, and the web3 wallet is you know it's a quick it's a very close second um you know on that ranking there Definitely. I love that analysis. And, uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I would like uh, for us to discuss, you know, like uh, new devices, for example, because we talked a little bit about the current devices, but then there, there's the next generation of devices coming, which are going to enable uh, marketers and users to do a lot more, right? And that's going to be really interesting from a marketing perspective. But uh, for us to wrap it up, I would love to hear from you like a little bit about, you know, the plan moving forward now now when it comes to metaverse and web3 uh what are some of the stuff that we uh that that uh, us as marketers but also uh, us as the developers of this new ecosystem how do we make it thrive right and um and also uh, i would love to hear from you about the big companies that are jumping into the game and that have already jumped into the game you mentioned ByteDance throughout the conversation you know uh they have their own initiatives uh, we talked about meta we talked about htc like but I think uh, you know uh, from the ones that are creating um, platforms, the ones that are creating these opportunities for marketers. I would love to hear from you. Like um, you know, first and foremost, how do we make this new ecosystem? How do we make this new world thrive? And also um, from a data and marketing perspective, you know, what is your opinion about Meta? What is your opinion about ByteDance and and, and all of these other companies that have already jumped into the game? Yeah, I mean, how do we make it thrive? Um, I mean, that's a that's a really big question. Um, I think that um, one, I think it's really important for us to encourage diversity of 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 headsets, of brands, of companies, so that um, you know one single monopoly doesn't isn't able to control kind of the future of of that immersive technology. And I think it's going to take every single one of us. Um, you know, as users, as you know, potentially investors, or um, or, as, or as developers, or you know, wh whatever part of the ecosystem that you're in, I think it's important to make sure that um, when we're when we are looking at solutions um, or, or apps or products that are being built for this immersive ecosystem, it's important to make sure that it, it, it's cross compatible. Like it, it actually works um, on the Meta headsets, on the on the ByteDance headsets, on the HTC headsets, on the Apple headsets, and the Samsung headsets. And I think every single, you know, every ecosystem is going to start creating their own pull um, to, to make sure that they have the best content, the best apps, and the best developer ecosystem. And, you know, I think, um, I think Microsoft in the early days, it, there was, I think Steve Ballmer, this, this is this is maybe like the downfall of Microsoft, but um, he always said, he always said like developers, developers, developers. Um, I just remember this like meme in my head where he's like, he's like sweating profusely and, and like yelling this to this crowd of uh, developers. And, but I, but I do think that, you know, a lot of it will come down to, you know, the technical folks and the kind of talent that, that gravitate towards um, these various ecosystems. So, you know, I think ByteDance and TikTok, they initially started out in, in, in China, East Asia, 
um, like Korea, Japan, um, and, and they're also selling in Europe, but they're, they've yet to dip their feet into the North American market. I think that's because they, they, they see Meta as like a very strong competitor. Although I do think that the kind of product offering that, that, you know, that they have currently, um, on the software side is, has a, has a little bit more to be desired. Um, but in terms of hardware, in terms of like actual balance on the base and um, comfort, like they've actually got a decent product. Um, a lot of North Americans just don't know about it. Um, and as for Meta, I think they've got a lot of uh, they've got a lot of challenges to overcome just around like making sure their their identity and their brand identity has um, you know has there there there's been challenges there. And so you know people. Um, there's always, there's still that like Mark Zuckerberg, like meme of like, you know, you're going to be extracting all of our data. Um, but people at the same time also don't trust ByteDance or, or TikTok, right. As, as North Americans. And so I think that there is actually going to be room for, uh, kind of a third, uh, a third competitor, whether that's, whether that's Apple or a smaller startup, like for example, Lynx or, um, which is like, um, another, another XR related hardware company based out of France. Um, it might, it might, there might be, you know, a third competitor that's going to come in and say, "Hey, we're going to come in, respect all of your privacy. The way that you're going to be, pay, you're going to be doing payments and, and and purchasing in these headsets is going to be super seamless. Um, we're going to manage your identity very, very, very carefully." Um, um, but at the end, of, at the end of the day, you know, we have to also ask, like, do people actually care about their privacy? And I think, I, I hope the answer is yes. But at the end of the day, I think the the folks that will win are going to be the ones that can create the biggest pull into their kind of developer and content ecosystem to make sure that when people actually do put on the headsets um, and this new hardware, that they have things to do. Um, it's it's interesting kind of where Apple's coming from, and you, and you mentioned it before. You know, they, they already have a portfolio of AR-enabled applications that are that are on iOS, right? So, um, and and the way that they're thinking about XR and VR is it's going to be at the intersection of AR. And VR, you know, it's not going to be just a completely enclosed, you know, virtual world. You're, I think it's going to be very important to be able to let the outside world in. Um, and so, uh, I think they're going to have an interesting kind of app ecosystem play um, as they merge their AR apps with um, kind of their other XR capabilities. And maybe just one, just one thing to add: um, we have to bring down the the barrier to entry and actually creating content for these. Um, for these ecosystems, right? So, um, what I, I think Unity, you know, Unity is kind of the big name there. You know, you have Unreal Engine, but I think that there's going to be there's a need for new no-code or low-code um, apps and app creation tools um, where people that are creative um, can can build things in 3D for these headsets without needing to, you know, hire a really expensive C, C plus, uh, C sharp or unity developer to build out the logic they want to, that they want to build. Um, and so I think I still see it as a big blue ocean still, um, kind of that the app ecosystem and, um, sure you have, you have big apps like Beat Saber, you know, getting a lot of users and, and Gorilla Tech doing really well, but there's, there's still, I think a lot of opportunity to be taken. So really excited. Yeah, I agree with you know pretty much everything that you said, um, and um, and how um, there's I, I believe there's going to be a lot of players in the space in the upcoming years. Just like in the cell phone, the smartphone space, there's a lot of players nowadays, and there's going to be multiple options. However, there's definitely going to be 
uh, some uh, companies uh, that are going to be taking the lead. And as you said, like Meta, yeah, I also bet hard on, on HTC, Apple, ByteDance, and it raises a lot of concerns. But at the same time, like um, one thing that I think it's interesting to kind of think about is also like when you look at Apple, for example, and they have this huge promise towards privacy and towards like keeping your data secure and whatnot and nowadays like it has become this really uh, uh controversial topic right and people are worried about their data they're worried about their privacy but at the same time like um you know when you look at also apple um they are launching ad platforms for their own apps especially in the united states so it's like they're going against some of the stuff that they promised to their users and it gets you thinking like uh you know because the average person you know um some people prefer to have an android phone some people uh prefer to have apple phones but from my experience you know uh from i think most of the countries in the world people like apple because it's just so easy to use and it's like this premium product right and people like that they like having this type of experience so it gets you thinking all right so what is going to be your choice in the near future is it going to be privacy or is it going to be something that is easy to use because it's kind of like unfortunately it has become this kind of like trade-off right um and it shouldn't be but it has become this kind of like trade-off so it gets me thinking when apple releases their headset you know and as ByteDance also advances in the race and also as meta also advances in the race uh it gets me thinking you know like uh, is it always gonna have to be a trade-off are users gonna opt for you know easy to use devices and giving up their privacy so i think it's also an interesting uh, topic for us to reflect especially you know, uh, since we're looking at the metaverse, small marketing and advertising perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that, uh, that we have to start choosing between privacy and ease of use, but hopefully, um, hopefully there's, there's a company that focuses on both. Um, but I, but I, I think that if consumers were, were given the choice, they would focus, they would just prioritize ease of use because they want to get in, do the thing that they want to do. And, and just from a, a knowledge perspective, you know, it, it does it does require a little bit of technical knowledge to, to you know, realize what's happening to your data, right? Um, so I think it's it's up to people that have that knowledge to be able to share it um, and inform people um, of the importance of securing your privacy, um, making, making sure that you read, you know, most people don't read the terms and conditions, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think it's it's simplifying the legal the legal language there and making sure people are aware of their rights um, and that becomes much of a more of a, a legal and a you know policy you know problem than a than a tech than a technological one but uh, um, I'm, I'm you know I'm still optimistic I think that uh, I think that the space has a lot of room to grow um, and we're still we're still in very early days you know even if, even if it doesn't seem like it so definitely definitely I, I totally agree and uh unfortunately uh elijah we're gonna have to wrap it up but like man thank you very much this was an amazing amazing conversation i hope our listeners enjoyed as much as i did uh because uh not only we talked about you know the possibilities of the metaverse and all that stuff but like everything from a very marketing and advertising driven perspective which i absolutely love and uh i really appreciate it so thank you very much man thank you for being here with me today yeah, and uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And uh, I also had a lot of fun. 
<laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's nice to hear. And, um, and for us to wrap it up, like, I would love to hear from you a little bit about uh, some of your uh, future projects that you or maybe uh, you guys at Testy are working on right now, or maybe what are the next steps for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I think right now um, we've got a lot of really great partners that we're working with um, that are helping to improve discoverability um, and and helping to inform consumers uh, on, on the new kind of content that they can be enjoying, especially inside the browser. You know, and I think that's something that we didn't talk about as much before, but um, we believe the browser as something that is cross-platform. You know, there's, there's browsers that, that are going to be uh, web XR and kind of VR focused that will um, live across not just the Meta headset, but it's in the it's in the Pico and the ByteDance headset. It's going to be in the HTC, and and most likely it's going to also be in the in the Apple headset. And so, if anyone is kind of thinking about making content that is going to live across all these different platforms, we we believe that the web um, and the openness of the web is is a great place to be. Um, and so we're 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 continuing to work with our with our partners to make sure that. Um, the discoverability is, is is a big is a big thing. I think search across various virtual worlds is still um, not as good as it could be. Um, you know, whether it's search in terms of events or communities or interests, I think that there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and it's our job as 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 SDU, You know, we we think of ourselves. You know, we say we're an ad network, but we also see see ourselves as kind of a steward and helping guide um, people that are entering the metaverse and ensuring that you know the hundreds of thousands of people that that visit our properties is guided to the most interesting and the most relevant locations um, around kind of these virtual spaces. And so um, that'll be our, our main focus. Um, there's a lot of other tech, like technological and technical focuses there, but. Um, uh, yeah, that's our that's our main priority for the next few couple months. Awesome, awesome. That's really really cool, and I love the perspective about being um, uh, this 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 entrance point. I guess I would say, you know, and and helping users to have a great experience. I think that's what it's all about. And so, Elijah, once again, thank you very much. Um, uh, before we finish, would you like to share how do users go in order to, 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 to keep up with your news, to follow you, or what is the best way to keep up with the stuff that you guys are doing? Yeah, um, I guess we've got a Twitter. Um, it's at Zesty Market. Um, and myself, uh, Elijah underscore T-A-I uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, we're also, we've also got a website, zesty.market. Um, and then kind of to view kind of the other properties that we're integrated with, it's zesty.xl. Um, yeah, you can find us there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you for sharing. So, uh, guys, I think that's basically it. Uh, once again, Elijah, thank you very much. This was super productive. I really loved it. And uh, guys, I hope you have enjoyed it too. If you want to follow me, you already know it. It's Eli Santos on LinkedIn, EOI space Santos. And if you're looking for metaverse marketing, consulting or services, uh, do not hesitate and go to metavertising.ai. And uh, I would love to talk uh, to you guys from there, uh, book a call and help you with whatever it is that you need right now. All right. So uh, I think that's basically it. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to us today. And I'll see you in the next episode.